so good to be together again this morning, and I'm excited about sharing a message with you and being able to encourage you. Uh, as I said earlier, we've had a couple of weeks where we've had some special events. We had a worship gathering, and we had our Easter services, Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, and we also had our first birthday, and I prepared kind of special messages for each of those, stuff that I really felt God impressed on my heart to share with you. But this morning, we're able to go back to our series in the Gospel of John. We've been doing this series in the Gospel of John. We want to know the Bible. We want to know Jesus. We want to see His face and, and, and be able to relate with somebody that we know, not just know about. We actually want to believe into Jesus, into His life, into His, his heart for us, into the, the, the new creation that Jesus has caused us to, believe, to be and not just believe in Jesus as in we know that He exists. And so that's what makes this series in the Gospel of John so powerful is that John is essentially unpacking Jesus for us. He's showing us everything that we could, could hope to know about this Creator who created all things and spoke all things into being and then became flesh and showed us the glory of God. And when we saw the glory of God, we realized it was full of grace and it was full of truth. And He became to us grace upon grace. And we see how Jesus just changed the whole game. Just changed the whole game. His arrival forever changed the way that we as people relate to God. We're no longer in fear. We're no longer in bondage. We're no longer in slavery. We relate to God according to His grace and according to the righteousness that has now become ours in Jesus. He changed the whole thing and, and point after point after point, John is showing us how, how Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that we would ever need. How in Jesus, in Christ, we have all things. And so this morning, we're gonna go to John chapter number six. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn with me to John chapter number six. Uh, I'm gonna read from verse one, and we're gonna, I'm gonna share a message with you this morning entitled, 12 Baskets of Bread. 12 Baskets of Bread. Let's read together from John chapter number six and verse one. And before I read it, let me just mention that when we were in John chapter two, we saw how uh, John writes and he essentially links two stories together. We saw in John 2 how it goes into the wedding in Canaan and how Jesus was at the wedding and it goes straight from the wedding to Jesus in the temple. And actually what John is doing, these are not random stories that he's telling, but he's actually linking them with purpose. He's linking them to show us something and to clarify something that he was expressing through that chapter and through that first story about Jesus. And so he does it again here in John chapter number six and verse one, and I'm gonna just read these first 14 or 15 verses together. But it says, after this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up onto the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread? so that these people may eat. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 
in number. It doesn't mention the women and children, but with women and children, most people believe between 10 and 20,000 people were there that day. Jesus then took the loaves and when, uh, and having given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. You're just glad that Jesus didn't ask them to gather up the fragments of fish because that just would have been nasty. But uh, so just the bread. Verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Let's pray together this morning. We're gonna look at John chapter number six. We're gonna look at what John is showing us about Jesus and we're gonna be encouraged this morning. Let's pray together. Jesus, this morning, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that it is your spirit that speaks, Lord God. Father, we thank you that this morning our hearts do not need to be perfect in order for them to hear you. It's not only the pure in heart who will hear you, pure in our own selves, because we know, Father, that we fall short of your glory. But Father God, by your grace, you have caused us to be made the righteousness of Christ, and we thank you that we get to hear your voice. We're your children, we're your sheep, and your sheep will hear your voice and not follow the voice of a stranger. So right now in this moment, Father, we just sincerely and honestly pray that you would speak to us. Just say whatever it is that you have to say to us, Lord God. Just, just bring into our hearts the, the, the very depths of who we are as people, the truth of Jesus. And we pray, Father, that you would cause our faith to be stirred and our eyes to be even more affixed on Jesus. We just give you the glory for this morning, Lord. We just give you the praise. We, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Always say, I got some water for the thirst, some coffee for the anointing. So you know it's going to be good this morning. <laughs> Have you ever been really, really hungry? Like really hungry. Like to the point where you start feeling a little bit dizzy and, and, and short of breath and you just feel like there is no energy left in you. That's me if I haven't eaten for like an hour. I just, I just, I feel like I'm going to pass out. I start, my, 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 my words are just, you know, they're just stumbling out of my mouth. Nothing makes sense anymore. And, and, and you just don't feel like you can go on unless you, you have something to eat. A genuine hunger. I'm not talking about the kind of hunger like when you're sitting at home on the couch watching TV and you feel a little bit moorish and you get up and you, you walk over to the fridge and you open up the fridge and you scan. You guys, you know what I'm talking about, right? You just open up the fridge and you just stand there and you just like longingly look into the fridge and you're like, why don't I have better stuff in here? You know, why don't I just like prepare for moments like these? And, and you just stare at everything in the fridge and, and you don't kind of, nothing, everything seems like too much effort, right? Everything just seems like, I don't really know if this is what I want right now. And you close the fridge, you go over to the cupboard because you know there's good stuff in the cupboard because cupboard is where, where carbs live, right? And so you open up the cupboard, you're looking for some carbs and then even there you're like effort, effort, effort. That needs to be taken out of a bag. That needs to be prepared. Uh, you know, I don't know. And, and probably I shouldn't because uh, normally if there's sweets in there, that's what 
you'll grab, but, but you're like, I shouldn't because, you know, I'm trying to eat a little bit healthier. So you close the cupboard again. You go back to the fridge. You're like, maybe I missed something. Open up the fridge again. You scan again. You're like, no, you know what? I'm not actually, I'm, I'm not actually that hungry. You close the fridge. And you go back to sit down on the couch. About five minutes later, you just lower your standards, go back to the fridge. And, uh, and eventually you're like, I'll just take this, you know? And, uh, and so I'm not talking about that kind of a hunger. I'm not talking about you're just slightly hungry and you're just slightly, uh, you know, a little bit peckish and you feel like you want to have something out of the fridge or out of the cupboard. I'm talking about a genuine hunger. I, I've remembered this a couple times when I've walked a long distance, even as, 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 a, as a young boy when I was walking with a friend and, and I remember getting so hungry. We hadn't eaten that whole morning and we decided to walk this crazy distance. And as we were walking, I was literally having visions of cheeseburgers and fries and just like the sauce just like dripping off the side. And, and, and we started telling each other about our food visions and we were like, we got to stop this. We got to stop this, you know. And, and the worst thing that you could possibly do is at that moment walk into like a petrol station uh, and go into the little convenience store because you know you're going to buy everything. You know that you're going to just spend all the money that you have because you're like, I'm an adult. I can actually have whatever I want. You know, like when you were kids, it's like one chocolate. Now it's like I can just buy it all. And so, uh, and that's the worst time to go into a convenience store. Um, I, in fact, I remember one time when Chris and I were working together at a church and, um, and Chris managed to lock us into the church. He locked us in the church and it was very late. I think it was late on a Sunday night. Everybody had gone home. It was just the two of us and the door had like an auto lock thing and he locked us in. And the gate leading up to where you unlock the door was also locked. And so we were trapped in a compartment, like little rats. We were just trapped in there. Just, and, and I was like, we're going we're gonna to die of hunger. And, uh, and, and we phoned Will. And we said, Will, you've got to come and unlock the church for us. He had the keys, but you know, he was at home already in bed. And it was going to take a while. And we just started feeling so hungry. So hungry. It's late at night. We've been, had a whole day of church. We're just tired and hungry. And, and so we did what, what anybody would do is that we went to the kids' ministry storeroom and started raiding it for food, just going through what surely kids eat good things. And so we were in there raiding the storeroom, and uh, by God's grace, he had arranged for us beforehand. You see, God knows what you need before you even get there. And he had arranged those, you know, those white Easter eggs with the chocolate inside, you know, the one that makes, he had arranged a whole box full of those. And so even when we left, we were like, thanks, William, for letting us out. And we're like, hey, Will, and we take out a white egg. We're like, we, we, we got some food. And then later on, he, we're still chatting, and then we're like, hey, Will, we put a hand in the other pocket, but we're taking some home as well. You know, we just had, just had eggs in pretty much every single pocket. But I remember just the, the panic of that moment of feeling genuinely hungry. And in the story in John chapter number 6, um, Jesus is being pursued by a crowd of thousands of people. They've heard the stories about Jesus. They heard the things that Jesus had done. They heard the things that, uh, that, that he had done with the sick as he'd prayed for them and, and seen people be healed and, and miraculous things are happening. And, 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 and they sit on after Jesus. They, they sit after Jesus. They wanna hear more about what he has to say and, and, uh, and, and see what he would do. And so they start pursuing Jesus in this moment. And Jesus goes up onto a hill, and this hill overlooking uh, this whole valley. And can you just imagine this picture for a moment? Because sometimes we just read these Bible stories, and we're like, Jesus went up onto a mountain. But just imagine the picture here. That Jesus takes his disciples, they go up onto a hill, and they're watching over, over these rolling hills 
towards them just 10 to 20,000 people just coming. And Jesus is just looking out at them, just looking out over them on their way to him. And in that moment, as Jesus sees these thousands coming, John quips again like he so often does. We've seen this. If you've been following with us in the series of John, you'll see how, how he says this again and again and again. He just reiterates it. It's like reiterated it like 20 times already. But essentially what he says is, is he says, it was the Passover feast. Again here in John 6, he goes, the Passover feast was at hand. Again, what he is trying to show us is that Jesus is the Lamb of God that the whole world has been waiting for. He is the Savior that everyone has been waiting for. And sitting on this hill is not just a religious teacher, is not just a man, is not just somebody who has some giftings, but is the Lamb of God. The Passover is at hand. What Jesus was about to do in the most significant Passover of all Passovers was die on the cross for us. And so he is on a hill overlooking some hungry people. And that's exactly what Jesus must have seen as he was on the cross. I, I can imagine that picture coming back to him. Now he's on the hill again and he sees multitudes of people around Golgotha and he thinks hungry people. You see, when Jesus looked at the crowds, when Jesus looked at the people pursuing him, when Jesus looked at the people that were following in on after him, what he sees is their hunger their hunger. And the hunger that Jesus sees is not just a hunger where they have been walking a distance and, and they're gonna be there for a while. Maybe Jesus knew he was, his sermon was gonna last a while and he was like, how are we gonna feed these people? How are we gonna organize food? But actually what Jesus is, is seeing here is, is he's seeing their desperate state, their need for fulfillment, their need for satisfaction, the, the, that, that, that lightheadedness. It's one thing to feel lightheaded physically and worn out physically and, and, and hungry physically, but when you are feeling that way for a lack of purpose in life, for a lack of truth, for a lack of meaning, for a lack of fulfillment, for a lack of genuine satisfaction in your soul, that'll kill you. That'll kill you. No life without the purpose of Jesus. No righteousness without the purpose of Jesus. And he sees that kind of a hunger in us. And what so often happens with us as people, just like Chris and I, caught up in the, child ministry, in the children's ministry storeroom, raiding the cupboards for, for anything to eat. What happens when you're that hungry is you just eat anything. When you get to a certain point, even plants just randomly start looking good. And you want, is this edible? Could we eat this? That's what happens to us as a society. It happens to us as humanity. It happens to us as people because we cannot deny the hunger on the inside of us. As much as we try and pretend like it's not there and we Instagram our perfect lives and our perfect feelings and our perfect families, as much as we wanna pretend like everything around us is okay, we cannot deny, if we're honest with ourselves for a moment, the hunger that exists. And why so many people get caught up in so many things that lead to more brokenness is because they're essentially raiding a supply room. I don't think it was healthy for me to eat 20 eggs that night, chocolate eggs. But I did because I was hungry. And that's what we do. I'm so desperate just for some taste of life. 
What is it? Where do I find it? Maybe I'll find it in this. Maybe I'll find it in my career. Maybe I'll find it in my money. Maybe I'll find it in my relationships. Maybe I'll find it by just forgetting everything out and just you know, going out and partying for a weekend. Maybe I'll find it in, in the things that I own. Maybe I'll find it in some success. Maybe I'll even find it in some philanthropy. If I can just be good to other people, maybe that's where it is. Desperately hungry, raiding the supply store for something to eat. And so Jesus turns to Philip in this moment. And this is like the ultimate rhetorical question that Jesus asks Philip. And I love how Jesus sets this up because the Bible already says he knows the answer. He knows what he's about to do. He just wants, to, he just wants Philip to see a little bit deeper. So he goes, hey, Philip, Philly, Phil, my boy. Where are we gonna find some bread for these people? Jesus already knows. Where are we gonna find some bread for these people? Just, and Philip is just watching thousands coming over the hills. And he might have taken out his wallet and just been like, Jesus, like, I mean, 200 denarii, which is equal roundabout to about 60,000 rand. In that, that day and age, uh, worth about six to eight months worth of wages. He's like eight months worth of pay. And then everybody gets a little crumb of bread, you know. And he's just like, I don't, I don't know how we're going to feed these people. Where will we find the money to feed them? But Jesus already knows the answer. He already knows his plan to satisfy our deepest longing for substance, the substance of life, the truth of life. He already sees the desperate state that we're in as we search for meaning and purpose in this life. And so there was a time where Jesus himself was really hungry And in that moment, the devil steps in to tempt him with, why don't you just raid the kids' room uh, supply uh, uh, store? Why don't you just go in there and just eat whatever's in front of you? Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. And he is physically, the Bible says he was hungry. Now, when the Bible just states something outright like that, you know he wasn't just hungry. You know he was crazy hungry. 40 days, no food. He's up on the hillside. You find this in Matthew 4, and the, de- the devil comes to Jesus, and, and he tempts him. He says, why don't you take, you're God, right? Why don't you just, you're the son of God. Why don't you just take this rock here and turn it into bread, and then you'll have food to eat. And this is how Jesus responds in, in Matthew 4, verse 4. It says, but he answered, it is written. That's the word of God. That's the truth of God. That's the life of God. We said in the beginning of John, John 1, we said, why does it say in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God? Why does it say that? Because the word of God is the truth of God and the truth of God is so synonymous with Jesus that you could almost interchange Jesus with word with truth. It is written, Jesus goes, the truth is, the truth is, the life is that man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word, the truth, the substance, the Christ that comes from the mouth of God. In this moment, Jesus is essentially saying, I'm not willing to raid the kids' ministry storeroom. I'm not willing to compromise the truth that God has set before me, the fullness of the life that he has for me for some temporal satisfaction because that's what we do. We forget 
that Jesus didn't only bring us bread, but came to be bread for us. When we sin as Christians, it's like suffering from spiritual amnesia. You've just forgotten. That's all it is. You've just forgotten what you actually have in Christ. You've just forgotten who you actually are in him. You've just forgotten your significance, your worth, the love that he has for you. Because when you know it, when you know that love, all of your rebellious tendencies fall away. Have you noticed how people who can be the greatest rebels can also be the the greatest, uh, the most loyal people at the same time? The greatest rebel can be the greatest lovers. You know why? Because they are running away from the hurt, from the betrayals, from the distrust. And they find one person who is truly and honestly trustworthy and committed to them, to them as people. And in that moment, they become desperately loyal. They'll kill for you. The biggest rebels become the most loyal people when they discover that someone loves them. And that's what happens to us when we discover the love of Jesus. We just become desperately loyal. We just become desperately committed. We just become desperately passionate about seeing more people find out about this great love. Why? Because we're all rebels. And so when we go back to our rebellious ways, it's simply because we've forgotten what we have in Jesus. He is the bread. He is the bread for us. He satisfies every longing in our souls. And so we don't wanna let go of eternal satisfaction in order to be satisfied temporarily. And so Jesus is about to here in this moment now show the disciples something. He he asks Philip the question, hey Philip, where are we gonna find bread for these people? And he knows that he is about to reveal his glory. He wants to show us how we no longer need to scrounge around for bread. I love how Philip says, but we can't afford this, Jesus. We literally do not have enough money to even buy everybody a little bit. Jesus is about to show us how he himself becomes for us, free of charge by his grace, everything that we could never have afforded in our own ability or strength. If you want the fulfillment that that God has to offer for your life, guess what? You cannot afford it. You cannot work for it. You cannot earn it. You you, you cannot do enough good things to accrue it. You, you, You cannot find fulfillment in your own strength. And that's the point that Jesus was trying to make to Philip. He goes, but I'm about to give you this bread. I'm about to give you this bread to meet your deepest need, your deepest hunger. So they find a little boy in the midst of this, of this crowd. And, and, and this little boy just brought some lunch. I'm like, he probably has one of those super moms, right? He's like, mom, I'm gonna go out. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go see Jesus. And, and I've just heard these amazing things. Everybody's going, mom. Like everybody is going, I've gotta go with. And he's like, okay, but not before you put on some sunblock and take this lunch. And he's like, mom, seriously, I don't wanna be walking around with a lunchbox. Please, mom. No, you are taking some lunch. And so, and so she, she puts some fish and some loaves in a little lunchbox and she says, here you go. 
and they find, like, I love how, like, like, you know, Andrew must have been so hungry by himself already, because he's already identified, like, where will we find food? And he's like, I don't know, but this kid has food. This kid has some. I'm just saying, it's probably too little for everybody. I'm just saying, like, maybe we could, you know, if we're hungry, you know, and he's just identified the food already. And so they take this little bit of fish and this little bit of bread. And Jesus just gives thanks over that little lunch. And they begin to distribute it. And I think they must have been surprised when it fed 10 people. But then it fed 20 people. And then it fed 30 people. And then it fed 50 people. And then it fed 100 people. And then before long, 1,000 people had eaten. And then 2,000 people. And 3,000 people. And 4,000 people. And 5,000 people. And 10,000 people. And 15,000 people. Everybody's just eating. And they're all having their full as much as they want, the Bible says. It's like convenience store overload. You walk in, just buy it all. Just like as much as they want, they all eat their full. Just with that little packed lunch. You know why? Because Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. You could look at your own broken situation right now and go, I have so little to give. You could look at, at, at your, your lack of qualification and, and, and your lack of good living and go, I, I don't know if this is enough to find fulfillment. But if we simply put what we have in Jesus' hands, we see him doing the miraculous. Because, not because what we have is enough, but because he himself is enough. What I want to tell you this morning is that Jesus isn't bound by the economics of our situation. He's not bound by the maths of your situation. He's not looking at what you have and go, okay, if you have so much, you can multiply it to this much. His ability is boundless. It's unlimited. Because he is God. And God is completely self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything to do anything. He is the eternal, uncreated maker of heaven and earth. Everything that is here because he decided it should be here. He's completely self-sufficient. In fact, we see in the Old Testament with Moses where Moses is tending some sheep after hiding out in the wilderness for 40 years after killing, uh, killing a man and, 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 having somebody, uh, finding, and finding out that somebody had, had found out about it and, and heard about it and people were talking about it. He runs out and just starts tending sheep. He's literally hiding uh, at the back of the mountain. And, and, and in that moment, he's um, 40 years later, he's tending to his sheep and all of a sudden, he sees this incredible sight. There's a bush that's burning, but the bush isn't burning. There's a bush that's on fire, but the bush itself is not being consumed. And so he's intrigued. Like, how is this bush burning without burning? And, and he draws closer. We see this in Exodus 3, verse 2. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And then God starts to speak to Moses. It was God. That fire was God. 
and he starts to speak to Moses. We looked at this in our This I Believe course on Tuesday night. We, we, we mentioned this, and, and, and I thought I would just repeat it uh, to those of you that weren't there on Tuesday night. But in Exodus 3, verse 13, it says, Then Moses said to God, so, so God starts to speak to Moses and he tells Moses, I'm here because I want to set people free. I want to set the people that have been crying out, the people of Israel that are in slavery and bondage in Egypt. I've got a plan to come down. I've heard their cry and now I have come down to do something about it. And so he gives the whole plan to Moses and Moses says, that's great, but I've just got one issue. And it's this, he says, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Moses is like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna march in front of Pharaoh, the most powerful, one of the most powerful men in history at that time. I'm gonna march into his, into his courtroom, into his chambers, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand in front of him, and I'm gonna say, the God of your fathers, this incredibly mighty, awesome God, he says, let my people go, and then, and then Pharaoh might go something like, so what's his name? This God of your fathers, what's his name? And he's going, well, you know, he didn't tell me when I was there, but he's up in the fire on that bush, and if you want, I mean, I can go back and find out. It's like, so Moses is like, I just gotta get this all down. I just need to be prepared for when I stand before Pharaoh. He says, what shall I say? What is your name, God? And in this moment, God reveals his name. If we had the time, he doesn't just reveal his name, he reveals his heart. He says, I'm merciful uh, and, and, and true and, and gracious and, and, he, and, and righteous and just. And he mentions all of those things. But just here, he says, it says, God said to Moses, this is his name, I am who I am. I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Ultimately, that's the meaning of the name of God is just I am. And what that signifies, what that, what that, what that is, is, is showing us is that he is self-existent. He is because he is. He wasn't created. He wasn't set into motion. He is completely self-contained and self-existent. And so that's where he says, I am, I am. The name of God is expressed as YHWH, which nobody's 100% certain how to pronounce. That's a tetragamation. And it's something in the Hebrew language similar to, to breathing. It's like, yah, heh, vah, heh. If you had to say it out, it's, it, it's very similar to the sound of breath, the life of God. But we've, we pronounce it in English either normally as Yahweh or as Jehovah but it comes from the same root, which means self-existent, uncreated, eternal, doesn't need anything. That's why the bush didn't burn. Because God doesn't need twigs and leaves to make a fire. He's God. Jesus doesn't need a convenience store to feed the multitudes. Because he is God. So why does Jesus then use the boy's lunch? Why does Jesus ask for some food to be brought forward? Why does he use the, the platform of these, these few loaves and, and these, these, these two fish? Why does he use that to feed the multitudes? It's to bless us. It's to give us a platform to cooperate with God 
and to be a part of what he is doing on the face of this earth. That's why we started Anchor Church Joburg, not because God needs Anchor Church Joburg, because, but because he wanted to bless us and use us to reach out to a city and to a nation. That's why God has brought you here. That's why God is working in your life because by his grace, he doesn't just wanna save you from some things, he wants to save you to some things. God is bringing you into more than what he brought you out of. And we might look at what we have and go, but this is too little, this is too little. And God's going, don't you get it? I am the bread of life. I don't need your much. I just need your faith. And it's to bless us. Last Sunday, we were here at uh, our first birthday and we were packing up afterwards in the afternoon and, and uh, I got one of the banners down and, and I started rolling them up. And I had just rolled up a banner, and my, my, uh, kind of my, my oldest of my two twin boys, uh, Leo, he came to me. And he said the words, he walked up to me, saw me rolling the banners, he said, what are you doing, Dad? And I told him, I'm just rolling up this banner. And he said the words, he said, me help you, Dad, me help you. And he helped me to roll up the banner, and then uh, I carried the front of it, and he carried the back. And we came down the stairs, we went all the way outside, he helped me carry that banner all the way to the trailer. Now, how many of you know that I could have carried that banner by myself? But here's my boy, and he's going, me help you, Dad. And I want to get him in the game. I want to get him into the game. I want to make him a part of what God is doing here. And so that little bit, it might have seemed so little to him, but it puts him in a place where he is a part of what happens here and what God is doing. In that small way, in that moment, Leo became a, a part of what God is doing in the city of Joburg through his church. Simply for the words, me help you, Dad. And so that's why God does in our lives what he does. That's why he, he calls us to lay things down and to put things in his hands because he wants to get us in the game. He doesn't need us, he wants us. He doesn't need our help, he wants our help. And he will do so much more than what you could even imagine with the little bit that you put in his hand. He causes our lives to become a testimony to the world. Where people will look at you and go, surely not that guy. Surely he's not the one doing something for Jesus. You notice how judgmental people are and those kinds of things. No, no, you know, if, if people really knew that person, or if people really knew what I know about them, or if people really, it's surely not him. That's exactly why Jesus uses us. I remember as a, as a kid reading the story of Elijah sitting by the brook and how God uses, used ravens to drop off bread. And I was thinking, Ravens, savage beasts. I mean, I, I was once in the, in the, in the Tower of London uh, as a child, and I remember seeing the crows at the Tower of London, if you've ever been there. Those things are torturous, so frightening. They live there. They just stay there, and, 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 and there's, a, there's a guy who literally feeds them meat, like pieces of meat, just so that they won't eat the people, right? And, and I'm, I'm standing there watching these crows and I'm thinking God used those birds to feed Elijah. The most selfish, ferocious birds that you can find. God goes, I'm gonna use the ravens to feed you. He uses the things that we won't expect. Not, not a pretty little dove or, or, or some, some beautiful bird that you would expect to be generous just as a lifestyle, but the ravens. Jesus uses what we don't expect to do what we could never have imagined.
And so we get to give of ourselves. And we find actually in that, we're partaking of the bread. You see, we don't realize that sometimes we think that when we're giving of ourselves, we're losing. You're actually gaining. When you give of yourself, you're gaining, you're not losing. You're being built up, you're not being broken down. And so the disciples serve these thousands of people. The bread is being distributed, the fish is being distributed, it's being handed out. And guess what happens? When they've done feeding everybody, Jesus says, collect the fragments, I wanna show you something. How many disciples were there? 12 disciples, how many baskets of bread did they gather? 12 baskets full of bread because you can never outgive God. You could never, as much as we give and we give and we give, and I must be honest with you, church planting is a taxing business. It is, it is difficult, it requires a lot. There are so many attacks that come against your life. And, 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 every, and I have been worried at times, like do I have enough in me to make sure that we can finish this race, to finish what we started, to go the distance? Do I have enough? The answer is no. But in Jesus, I have baskets full. And the more I give, the more there is. Because he didn't just give us bread that we eat and then it's finished and it's gone. You go, I had some bread now, but it's finished. He became the bread to us. And his presence is with us. And so it doesn't matter how much we give, we just keep getting baskets full of the grace of God, the fullness of God, the life of God. It's all there. It's all there. God's presence is in you and it's with you. Even if your business failed and you had to shut it down tomorrow, guess what? God put his calling in you. You can start another business tomorrow and within weeks it'll be back to where it was. Sometimes we have this idea that, that, that if we lose our money or if we lose our business or if something happens that, that we'll never be able to get it back again. We'll never be able to see it rise up again. And I remember sitting with a, a senior, uh, just pastor, just a, a church leader, a missionary, and, and just having this conversation with him. And, and, and he said something to me which was just so encouraging. He said to me, even if you had to close Anchor Church down, even if you had to shut it all down, shut the doors, tomorrow you could start another one. And even if you had to start 10, you could start 10 Anchor Churches in succession. Why? it's in you. God has put it in you. So we don't have to be afraid of being spent. We don't have to be afraid of giving it all. We don't have to be afraid of leaving it all out on the field because it's in you. God has put it in you. What do you need for your family? It's in you. What do you need for your career? It's in you. What do you need to be living the life that God has called you to live? It's in you. Even if you give it all away, it's in you. That's what Jesus knew when he called the rich young ruler to give it all away to the poor. He's like, I've, I've got riches you don't even know about stored up for you. 12 baskets full. 12 baskets of bread. It's in us. Why? Because Jesus' presence is with us. He is our bread. He is the bread of life. To further illustrate and clarify this point, in the midst of this entire chapter about bread, and we're gonna look at it a little bit more, there's a few more things that John says at the end of John 6 that I wanna look at next week, but, but in the, the whole chapter is about Jesus being the bread. 
that's ultimately what this whole chapter six is about. But right in the middle, he throws in four verses, John. These four verses, the second story, to further clarify his point. It tells us that after all of the people had eaten, the disciples get into a boat. They push out to sea. They're waiting for Jesus. And Jesus uh, has withdrawn from the crowds. He's in the mountains and they're just waiting for him. And while they're sitting in the sea, sitting in the boat, the storm arises. And they become fearful for their own lives. Their lives are under threat. Before they were hungry on land, they were hungry. But now their lives are in danger of the wind and the waves. Both of those can kill you. Hunger and wind, both can kill you. And so they're in a a dangerous place. It says in John 6, verse 16, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat and started across to the Sea of Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Jesus in this moment supernaturally delivers them once again from the danger that surrounds them. Once again, he's the savior. Once again, he's the one who comes to us. Think about this for a moment. They're sitting there going, we're out in the middle of the sea. We are rowing and rowing. I'm sure they were staying near the shore just so that they could just row in whenever Jesus was ready to go. And now they are rowing and rowing and this wind is pushing them. They've rowed three or four miles already. They're tired. They're in danger. Their lives are in danger. The, the waves are breaking over the boat. And Jesus literally walked on water to be with them in their time of need. He literally did the supernatural to be with them. And that's the confidence that we have, that Jesus is a savior that not only fills us and satisfies us at the deepest level of our hunger, but is also there with us in every situation in our lives, every danger we face, every storm we go through, every battle we fight, he is literally right there. He moved heaven and earth. He walked on the water to get there because he's like, I'm not gonna leave you in the storm. If Jesus would walk across water to be with his disciples in the storm, how much more would he do to be with you? That's the confidence that we have no matter what we're facing. He's right there. He's right there. He is the savior of the world. He is the lamb of God. The Passover is at hand. He's right there with us. And they take Jesus into the boat and they were glad to have him. Just like, man, we were about to drown, but we're just so glad that you're here, Jesus. And when we recognize our genuine state as people, let me tell you, understanding that Jesus wants to get into your boat and be present with you is the most joyous moment of your entire life. Because you realize that you're saved. (laughs) You realized that you've been rescued by him. Directly after this, John goes straight back to talking about Jesus as the bread of life, which as I said, we'll talk about next week. But what we can take out of this this first part of John chapter number six 
is that Jesus truly is the bread of life. He truly is the satisfaction for every desire that we have. Jesus is every single fairy tale come true. He is the only genuine happy ever, ever after. And not a happiness that's dependent upon whether there are storms or are not storms, but a deep settledness in your soul. That you know, I am known, I am loved, I am the one that Jesus loves. No matter what anybody else has to say about me, no matter what, how many times I fail, no matter how much brokenness might be present in my life, this one thing remains true. I am the one whom Jesus loves. And when we eat of that bread, we never hunger again. We face the storms, we go, but he's right here. He's still present. He's still present in my life. He's in the boat and he's more than enough. If you want to, you could say it this way. The bread was in the boat. The bread was in the boat. So this just liberates us, doesn't it? We have so much fear about our lives, about our future, about what might happen. We, we worry about taking risks. We worry about what will happen to us financially. We worry about what our, our, our family will look like as we go forward. But when you recognize that Jesus is in your boat, that his presence is with you, that he is the ever satisfying presence in your life, it sets us free to take great risks, to live life boldly and fearlessly. That's why the Bible says the righteous are bold as lions. They know, we know in whom we have believed and we're persuaded. So we get to live a big life. We, we, we become more generous. As the church, as people of God, we should be more generous, even with our money, than anyone else in the world because we recognize that our provider is in our boat. The one who causes us, the Bible literally says that gives us the power to earn a living and to, and to gain wealth. It comes through his presence. It's not something that we can lose. We can be more generous, more daring, more trusting, more bold than we ever believed we could be. Even though you might just have a little bit in your hand, we know that he is more than enough. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's, let's pray together this morning.